This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show, and Ella's Leash Production. Heard as a podcast around the world, but heard first on radio stations 100.7 WHUD-FM and Real Country 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Shine On, bringing you healers and dreamers and people who want to make life richer. It's your time to shine on. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for shining on today. How would you like to have a quiet, peaceful, loving mindset? Somehow I got sent six chapters of the Matthew Ferry book, Quiet Mind, Epic Life. It was emailed to me. I honestly don't know how that happened. I must have replied to something at some time. So I perused the pages via the computer and the ideas interested me so much, I printed out those six chapters and I carried them with me for days, literally. I'd bring the pages to bed, read, mark the new insights with arrows and stars, go to sleep, wake up, put the pages in my purse, carry them to the studio, read when I had a few minutes, bring them back home to bed. Then I finally reached out to the author in the hope he would come on Shine On the Health and Happiness show and he wrote back. Matthew Ferry is a spiritual hooligan. He questions everything, and in doing so, he's gotten to know his mind so well that chattering monkey has gone quiet, and that is a good goal for all of us. And we've talked about it often on this show. The brain is just rattling off all kinds of faulty reasoning geared to keep us safe. If we go looking around underneath and behind the babbling mind and question the chatter, the fear of being less than safe diminishes. Quiet Mind, Epic Life is the book Matthew Ferry says that this is the last self-help book you will ever need. He realized he was living his dream when he reconceptualized his life, and today you may do the same. Matthew was driven to live in peace, and that led him to a four-step process that can help us all achieve a quiet mind and an epic life. Matthew Ferry has ideas that operate outside the framework of my mind, and I am grateful to have my views stretched. Question number one for Matthew Ferry, was the quiet mind a gradual onset, or did it just slam quiet all of a sudden? No, it was a gradual quietness, but it was a, it did slam shut at one point. So at one point, I remember um, being with my, uh, with my mastermind and saying to the guys around the table, guys, all of a sudden, I'm overwhelmed with beauty and gratitude, and I don't know what's happening, but it's, it's, it's like everything just went into Technicolor. It's like 4K, and my mind, I'll, I'll just take, all of a sudden, I'll just say, wait a second, I'm not thinking anything. What is this? Mm. No fear. The fear has completely disappeared, and I know that that sounds completely irrational and crazy, yeah, but the and and the body will still get afraid. Like if I you know accidentally uh, walk into the street and there, a car comes zooming by, you know I'm very thankful that the body has a reaction. Right. But the fear and the lamenting, Casey, about um, the future and what's going to happen next and will I succeed and is anyone going to all of that stuff that's gone. Regret. Regret is completely gone. In fact, um, the things that I used to regret. I now, if if something comes up with somebody, I typically have a celebratory feeling about those moments and how valuable and important they were. Hmm. Such as? Such as my father, for example, when I was 12 years old. I remember sitting in front of the 
remember sitting in front of Coco's Diner and saying to him, Dad, I'm going to be a rock star when I grow up. And I remember him turning around and saying, you know, son, the chances of you being a rock star is like a million to one. Are you sure that you want to go after that? And I remember my drunk monkey in my head saying, he doesn't believe in me, he doesn't trust me, he doesn't get it, and, and me having this reaction. I'm going to do it. Right? This rebellion against that. Mm-hmm. And for years and years and years, Casey, I actually resented him for doing that. And as I went into this quiet mind state, I, I just see how loving and kind that was, that, that my father was, was saying, son, I don't want you to suffer. I don't want you to feel regret that you aren't a rock star, and I, I want the best for you. I think that that was such an important moment, and by the way, I did go after being a rock star, and I have put out a lot of music and made money in music, but in the end, my ultimate objective was something else, and I think he saw that in me. Wow. Did he get to see you actually become a rock star at your seminars? <laughs> yes. In fact, I remember I, I remember being on a um, jog with one of my very good friends, and we coached each other on our jobs. He just looked at me one time and he said, what is your deal with being a speaker and a seminar leader? And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, well, you resist it so often. I think I was in my my late 20s uh, at that time. And I was like, well, I resist it because I want to be a rock star. (laughs) Mm. The monkey was still resenting and lamenting. Right. And, And he looked at me, he just grabbed me and he looked me in the eye and he said, Matthew, you are a rock star. You're a rock star who makes a difference. Right. And in that moment, Casey, I had a contextual shift. Right. I, had, I all of a sudden realized I was already there, I was doing it, I was living it, but it just didn't fit what my mind said it should be. So I was holding myself accountable to rules and specifications that weren't true, but the essence of what I wanted was there the whole time. We are talking to Matthew Ferry about his book, Quiet Mind, Epic Life. So you were like the rest of us. You had the monkey mind, the brain going all the time, the doubt and the fear, and now that is gone because... Because I have been a, a person driven, probably like you, probably like our listener, driven to be in a state of peace, driven to be in an in a optimized, loving joyous place and my gosh it was so difficult impossible to be in that place with all of this insanity going on in my world and it and it just drove me it drove me to discover to understand and ultimately i came upon a four-step process that helped me to get my mind to go quiet and then i just began to experiment with my thousands of clients i mean i I'm coaching and training people uh, every single day. So I call it the rapid enlightenment process, Casey. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really four things. Go. It is the recognition that there is a mechanism that I call the drunk monkey, and that that mechanism, this, these negative thoughts in your head, are driven by something called unconscious reflexes. That's number one. If you can see it, it'll actually create a little more space between the thoughts. Then the second part is something called the hidden motives to survive. And it took my mind going relatively quiet to see this next structure, but consciousness itself has been evolving. Mm. And it has, it has very successful iterations that if these components are present in the consciousness of, 
of an animal, of a being, of a plant. If these things are present, then you'll survive longer. Things like greed, hatred, pride, victim, humble, traitor, lazy, resistance, those things, when they're present in your consciousness, your reflex is to do things to stay alive longer. And if you can see it, you can release it. Then the third part was this incredibly esoteric process that I took on from one of my mentors named Dr. David Hawkins. And he utilized muscle testing to define and understand consciousness. And I began to take on dogma. So I began to take on, are we infinite? When we die, what happens? I began to utilize this muscle testing process to discern what strengthened me and what weakened me. And in doing so, I have been able to define what I call enlightened perspectives. Perspectives that when you connect with them, when you adopt them, your mind naturally starts to go quiet. And then the fourth process is called recontextualization. So it's like that story that I was telling you about when I was on the jog. Mm-hmm. That was literally a recontextualization. It was the same situation, but I, changed, I shifted the context, and suddenly in shifting the context, I felt more empowered. That's recontextualization. So those are the four components. And you did it, too, with the story of your dad. I did it with the story of my dad. That was a recontextualization. So it's, recontextualization is actually a skill. It's the skill of describing the conditions and circumstances of your life in a way that creates an empowering reality for you. And it's not, you know, people so often, Casey, they're like, oh, wow, you're just being Pollyanna. It's like, no, actually, I'm being practical. I'm being pragmatic. Right. Because I get to choose how I describe things. And so often I'm not choosing. So often I'm unconsciously describing things. And if I leave everything up to the drunk monkey, oh boy, I'm not going to be a happy guy because the drunk monkey is not your friend. Right. So I think the homework we'd ask everybody to do today is to think about how they could put their life in the best possible light. If they were trying to like sell how wonderful their life is, look at it in all positives and recontextualize all the things that they may be complaining about. It would make such a huge difference for them to do that. And and really, you want to step back and start by setting your intention to be happy, to be enlightened. If you don't actually set the intention, then it's very difficult to move in the direction of experiencing that positivity. We're talking to Matthew Ferry, Quiet Mind, Epic Life is the book. I want to share with you that for years I would wake up, get in the shower, and in my head in the shower, start telling people off at work. <laughs> It's totally normal. Right? That's totally normal. But that's how all of my days started. And one day I caught myself stepping out of the shower angry. I caught a look at my face in the mirror. And I was like, what are you angry about? I hadn't been paying attention to my thoughts. But all of those um, mechanisms that you talk about, the, the, the drunken monkey brain was, I guess, trying to protect me. And all my defenses were up. You know, so early in the morning, and that's when I set the intention, like, hey, I want to be more chill. And but it, and that started my epic journey. How long did it take for you to go from drunken monkey to quiet mind? It took me longer than it will take my, my students and my friends and my readers. It took me a good, let's call it 20, 25 years. I, I, I remember being nine years old and I was sort of accidentally having these out-of-body experiences and I, did, I didn't know what it was, right? I was like, all of a sudden I would pop out of my body 
and I would feel this incredible bliss and joy and peace. And then when I found myself back in my body again, I would like burst into tears that I wanted to be back there again. And I didn't know what it was, Casey. I, you know, and mm-hmm. I was nine. What was I going to say? You know, hey, I'm leaving my body. Right? No, I don't know what to do about it. So I just I went on this journey of trying everything to try and get myself back there. And it was somewhere around age 36 or so that I I I can definitively say like, whoa, okay, my mind is really really quiet now. But for the average person, if they'll follow the process that I have been defining and creating, it, it could, they, their mind could significantly reduce in the next few weeks. And over the next couple of years, they could get their mind to be quiet on a regular basis. I want you to just go over the four things again quickly. The four things are, one, see the drunk monkey in your head. Two, heal the imbalances in your consciousness called the hidden motives to survive. Three, connect with enlightened perspectives and bust your own dogma. And then four, practice recontextualization. We're happy to read in your book, Quiet Mind, Epic Life, that you're not a saint, that you can still like freak out and have sugar fits, right? That's right. (laughs) Sure. I just had one for seven days on a cruise. What was your poison? My poison was uh, cake, Mm. ice cream, and uh, and anything else sugary that I could find to completely jack my system up. All right, all right. So you're so good. You're still human. When we have this modern enlightenment, one of the first things we'll experience is being flooded with information previously blocked by our fears. Yes. Such as. Such as, the world is all the same stuff manifesting in different forms. And there are aspects of consciousness that aren't necessarily, quote unquote, human, but they are, in fact, influencing us. So there's parts of consciousness, for example, that promote the feeling of greed. So you go to a meeting and your mind is quiet and suddenly you're aware of that there is something present in the meeting. It's not any of the people per se but it's present in the meeting and it's making everyone in the meeting feel like they don't have enough, they better get their own, they better strategize and screw other people out of what they want and and get and grab it while they can. And these things are a little disconcerting when your mind first goes quiet because in the past you've thought it was you or you thought it was the other people in the meeting, but as your mind goes quiet, you start to realize, oh, actually there's a, there's a quality or an essence that happens when people get together or in certain environments. Matthew Ferry, the guest, Quiet Mind, Epic Life, page 41. This is where I have uh, written all the circles and arrows and uh, stars. It says, a high conscious person doesn't just see more than other people. When you are a high conscious person, you are able to accept what you see. And then you mention that you see the criminal and you're able to accept that from their perspective, they didn't have a choice. Like, yeah, that's a criminal. I get it. How does that happen? As your mind goes quiet, you start to see that the behavior of all of us, including yourself, is contextually motivated. That the perspective you have about the situation drives your behavior and that human beings are naturally optimized for 
gaining pleasure and avoiding pain. And at certain levels of consciousness, certain, let's call a level of consciousness uh, a framework, a mental framework or a construct, at certain levels of, uh, of consciousness, kill or be killed is the appropriate response. At other levels of consciousness, forgive everyone is the appropriate response. But the person who is in the framework, forgive everyone, would be very disappointed if they thought that everyone else was in a forgive everyone modality. And this happens, Casey, to people like you and I. You got to say that again. For people like you and I, we have a framework that may include the idea that forgiving everyone is a really solid thing to do. Yes. And we become delusional and, and think that our way of operating is the right way of operating, and this is just the drunk monkey taking over your spirituality. Your way of operating is it better or worse than anybody else's. It produces a consequence, and that's it. It creates a result for you. And the criminal's way of operating isn't better or worse than anybody else's. It produces a consequence. And they're a criminal because, as a society, we've come together and we've said, these are the best practices that we want everyone to operate in so that as a hive, as a group, we can all prosper together. Well, that particular individual doesn't have the particular software that, ha- that has them be able to operate in that framework. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we as a society are saying, we don't want that in our group. So we don't make that person wrong. We just recognize they don't, they don't have the perspective that says that stuff over there is that person's and this stuff over here is mine. They have the perspective that guy has stuff that I want and I'm going to take it. It's not bad, it's not wrong, but we have come to a set of agreements, and if you're born in this country, there are agreements that are implied right from the beginning. And if you don't wanna follow the agreements, go somewhere else. Wow, all right, so I just had another one of those great big moments in my brain that I say, wow, that's a new thought, and then it almost evaporates before my eyes. I don't know why my brain does that, but it does, does that ever happen now? It probably doesn't happen to you. It so, does, it does, it's, a, it's contextual. It's, uh, remember that, that your mind's job is to protect you, so yeah. it wants to make sure that all of the information that you receive fits inside of the framework that has worked for you in the past. And what my job is, is to be a revealer, an illuminator, and to push you into greater states of joy and peace and happiness and acceptance and fulfillment. And the mind actually resists that. Yes, that's what happens. I'll have a big aha, and then I can't go back and find it. That's why I need the rest of the pages of this book. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. Can you please tell people where they can go to find out more information about you? Go to my name, MatthewFerry.com, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-F-E-R-R-Y.com. Matthew Ferry, Quiet Mind, Epic Life. He has the Facebook group Spiritual Hooligans, and he mentioned muscle testing which he goes into deeper in the book. And if you haven't tried muscle testing, the idea is using the wisdom in your own body to make better choices, to even get to know yourself better. Want to learn more? I am reading now Cherry Picking from Matthew Ferry's blog post last summer entitled The Role of Muscle Testing in Achieving Enlightenment. To achieve and maintain enlightened states of consciousness, you must be able to identify what degrades your enlightened state and then reorient your life to eliminate or mitigate it. Muscle testing, sometimes called applied kinesiology, is very simple. You stick out your arm, say a word or phrase, and someone pushes down on your wrist, 
to see if the arm stays strong or goes weak. It's not rocket science. With proper training and practice, muscle testing provides you with a feedback tool that helps you to discern what strengthens you and what weakens you. It's pretty simple in concept, but a lot more difficult to implement than you might expect. Reading on from a Matthew Ferry blog, you must make the connection that your words impact reality at the level of your being, not at the level of your intellect. The muscle testing is very helpful in making that connection. Science can help you make sense of the world and even validate your enlightened perspectives. Unfortunately, the scientific evidence won't cause you to enlighten. Enlightenment doesn't happen through the mind. It happens by transcending the mind. You must recognize that the mind is not experiencing actual reality. I'm going to say that again. You must recognize that the mind is not experiencing actual reality. Probably the best way to get on board with muscle testing is to check with your intuition. You know the impact of your words. What happens if you say, I love you, to your child on a regular basis? Intuitively, you know it would have a positive impact on your child's well-being. They are strengthened by your words. Muscle testing helps you to see this effect in real time. Just put your arm out. If your testing is working correctly when you say, I love you, and then have someone press down on your arm, it will be strong. Put your arm out again. If your testing is working effectively, say I hate you and then have someone push down on your arm, it will start to weaken. We get weakened and strengthened all the time. If you feel limited by your circumstances, it affects your mood and your behavior. Feeling limited causes the body to activate survival consciousness and either retreat or fight back. Both states will weaken your arm with muscle testing. Muscle testing teaches you what makes you strong and what makes you weak. That's it. Any additional meaning that you add to it, it's just your mind trying to make muscle testing into something more or less than it is. You either go strong or go weak. That's it. It's not special or mystical. After doing hundreds of thousands of muscle tests, I have come to a very practical perspective. The stronger you are, the more power you have. The weaker you are, the more force you must use. Power is distinct from force. When you are strong with muscle testing, you are accessing power, which is extremely efficient and effective. When you are weakened by something, you must use force to compensate. Force uses more energy. Power is more efficient. Force puts you into a survival context. Power puts you into a thriving context. Thriving is the basis of enlightenment. Power is effortless. When you experience power, it creates a sense of well-being. Well-being is characterized by feelings of peace, joy, and ease. These are also the experiences of being enlightened. Power naturally creates confidence bolsters your creativity, and invigorates your courage. This is an optimal state. When you are empowered, you are open-minded and naturally interested in doing more, having more, and expanding the good in your life. Again, just picking out some key phrases in a Matthew Ferry blog post. His book, Quiet Mind, Epic Life. For more, visit MatthewFerry.com. So happy to have him on the show today. Okay. Hello, it's Casey. Thank you for tuning in today. It's Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show. We've been doing this every Sunday morning on the radio for, oh my goodness, eight years or more. And of course, you may be listening on a podcast platform, iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you are hearing me, I appreciate you tuning in. Now, coming up in February, February 17th, 
I'll be hosting a healing circle for women who have been traumatized. We've done this once before at Mariondale in Ossining, New York, and it was just absolutely life-changing. Then on February 23rd, a Saturday night, just for fun, I'm having a country line dance. Why? Because I've always wanted to learn how to country line dance and I don't want to do it myself. So I'm hosting a dance in Verplank, that's northern Westchester in New York. And then uh, the first weekend in March, we're back to Mariondale for the second annual Shine On Weekend Retreat for Women. Come, join me. Now after all this, do you still get a thought for the day? Of course you do. It's from Albert Einstein who said, Creativity is intellect having fun. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show for your entertainment only. Heard Sunday mornings on 100.7 WHUD and on Real Country's 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Subscribe to Shine On on iTunes and SoundCloud and catch a show anytime at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Shine On.